Hey, last week we talked about the importance of letting people know that you believe the gospel, that you follow Jesus. This week we're going to talk about some ways to proclaim the gospel and what living a gospel-centered life looks like. And to do this, we're going to hang around with uh, and simplify, hopefully, demystify the concept of discipleship. Ooh, discipleship. That's an important word. It's also one of those ones that we kind of are hard to define. We get a little bit lost in sometimes. Let's start by hearing from Jesus. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 28. Uh, what Matthew records is the last words of Jesus before he ascends to the throne of God and he kind of commissions his followers to go out and continue his work. And it's written on our wall over here, so maybe it's an important, uh, important message. This is what it says. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, uh, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Give me a little uh, head nod if you've heard this before. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty important. It seems like it if it's written on our wall. It's called the Great Commission because Jesus is commissioning, he's deputizing his followers to go out and make more followers. He says, all authority in heaven uh, and on earth has been given to me and I am entrusting some of that authority to you to continue the work that I have done. It seems like a pretty simple directive. Here's what I want you to do. Go make disciples. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them everything. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. Okay. Sounds pretty good. But I bet if some of us were there that day when Jesus first said this, we might have some follow-up questions. It may not be as clear what we were supposed to do, how we were supposed to do it. We might say things like, okay, uh... Were you talking to me or just those guys? Because we know you had like the 12 apostles and now there's only 11. So is, are you talking to, to those guys or us guys? And come to think of it, what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? We're supposed to make disciples, but apostle, there's like two different words there. Is there two different meanings and two different expectations for some of these people? Oh, and while we're talking about this here, Jesus, how do you make disciples? Because we sure would like some steps is it even possible to make disciples? Is this something you can like make? Like I'm, I'm making a birdhouse. Can you make a disciple? Doesn't that seem a little bit manipulative? Isn't there like Holy Spirit in the process? What's my role? How much is God going to do versus how much am I going to do? And what tradition are we going to disciple them into? Because there's all different kinds of churches. There's all different kinds of translations of the Bible. There's all different kinds of studies. They wouldn't have known that back then, by the way. So the chronology breaks down a little bit. But you see what I'm saying, right? We might not go and make disciples. We might instead stay and ponder the concept of discipleship. Jesus goes up into heaven and like, hey, we know we're supposed to do something, but how and what exactly, where, when, why, and all that kind of stuff. I've noticed in the last few weeks as we've gone through this Gospel Plus series, that each week there's a different concept or a different word that may require some untangling. 
It may require creating a better definition or thinking about in a different way. And maybe you've noticed this too. In week one, we talked about the gospel. Well, what even is it? Christians talk about it like it's something really important, but how do we define it? We know it means good news, but if we don't get that, the concept that it's the headline of a good news report that Jesus, the Son of God, is crucified and raised to life, then we might miss something that's very central. So we got to understand the gospel. And then I talked about the kingdom of heaven, because Jesus talks about that a lot. And I said in the past, when you hear Jesus talk about the kingdom of heaven, you should focus more on the kingdom part than the heaven part. Especially if your concept of heaven is the far, far away place we go to when we die, if we're lucky, uh, if we're in Christ, and we go up in the clouds and we become angels, and that's not the whole story. Uh, if we're thinking in terms of that heaven, then we need to reframe our heaven idea, but we get lost because we think when Jesus says kingdom of heaven, he's talking about that. So I say instead, focus on the kingdom, the kingdom part, the part where Jesus becomes the king of heaven and earth, and he becomes the king of our lives. After all, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is among you. The kingdom of heaven is here. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, not far, far away, but here on earth as it's done in heaven. Last week, I talked about preaching the gospel that it's good to shine the light of Jesus and uh, you know, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. But I advocated for words, which is why I said go out and let somebody know that you're a believer by saying something about Jesus, by talking about your faith. But the word preaching can trip us up. We maybe had to redefine it. Maybe it's not something that one specifically skilled person does once a week. But it's something that anyone who believes the gospel can do and invite others to believe and follow Jesus as well. See what I mean? Untangle. We gotta, you know, undo the knot in your shoe before we can tie it securely. And this week is no different as we talk about the concept of discipleship. It's one of those things we probably recognize if we saw it, but we often don't know how to define it or to start doing it. Well, I have good news about discipleship. There were some Tri Valley leaders. We had the opportunity to meet with uh, a mentor, a professor named Randy Harris. He's a longtime ACU professor, preacher, teacher, Bible scholar. He was asking, he was asking about how discipleship is viewed at Tri Valley. He said, does discipleship have a positive connotation at your church? So the leaders looked around and said, like, we don't know that it has any connotation. It's, it's something of a mystery. Uh, different people will define it in different ways. And he said, I see that a lot. People get tripped up with the concept of discipleship. He said, I think it's better to think about it in terms of Christ-likeness. And that stuck with me. Discipleship is striving to become more like Jesus. I said, okay, well, maybe that's a concept that I can understand and do and live out. A little bit more clearly. I have fewer questions about what that means. A disciple is someone who follows a leader, who learns from them, who strives to become like them. And when we read the Gospels and the life of Jesus, we see that's what he's inviting people to do. He says things like, come with me and I'll show you. Come follow me, learn from me, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. This is a helpful question that Christians can ask one another. This is the thing that the Parnell family prays about the most in our all-family prayers, usually around a meal, breakfast table, the dinner table, 
lunch? I don't know. I'm not there most of the time. But when we pray, uh, one of the things that I pray the most is, God, help us all to become more like Jesus, Amen. to treat each other more like Jesus, to love more like Jesus, to uh, be serving and sacrificial like Jesus, and teach us to trust you the way that Jesus did. That's a common prayer. I had the opportunity to tell a couple different people about our church this last week, kind of my answer to the question, who found out you're a Christian? Well, there are two different occasions. One was a guy that I met uh, who's a stand-up comic named Nick, and he's been doing stand-up comedy in the Bay for like 10 years, uh, and he found out that I was a pastor. So he's like, well, tell me about your church. And at dinner in Devo this last week, we had a couple first-time visitors, and I got to share with them. Here's what our church is about. Now think about this for a moment. If you've had the opportunity for someone to find out you are part of this church, how would you describe us if you only had about 10 seconds? Ooh, that's a hard one. <laughs> Do you talk about our, our traditions, our worship styles? Do you talk about our newly painted Family Life Center? You talk about some of the personalities, you know, how do you break down uh, some of our, our most beloved and unique and quirky personality members in just 10 seconds? This was a real challenge, like, ooh, Tribe Valley, let's see. But here's how I described it in both cases. I said, we're a group of people, open the Bible, look at how Jesus lived, and we're trying to do that. We're just trying to be like Jesus. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 11, the Apostle Paul says something similar to the church in Corinth. This church had a lot of problems, if you know anything about 1 Corinthians or the church in Corinth. Paul had a hand in starting this church. He loves this church. He wants them to succeed, but they write him a letter with all their problems and all the things they're fighting about. And uh, he says a lot in the book of 1 Corinthians. But there's one verse that has always stuck with me. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And that's simple. Joseph, I think I made a slide that has this on there. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That can be your gospel summary verse for the week. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is maybe not a summary of what the gospel is, but more of a summary of how the gospel is lived out. This is a summary of living the gospel. I like this verse because there's a lot of ones in it. It's easy to remember. It's verse, core, one, one, colon, one. So just think of all the ones and you'll find your way to it pretty quickly. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. When our friend Justin Garza first started coming to this church, Justin and I would go to Starbucks once a week. We'd meet, we'd have coffee, and inevitably we would ask each other the question, how are you being like Jesus this week? Sometimes we wouldn't even articulate that question. It was just the understood question that hung over our conversation. We talk about parenting. Well, how am I being like Jesus in my parenting? We talk about our marriages. Well, how am I being like Jesus as a husband in my work, in my teaching, in the problems, in my stresses, in the people that I'm frustrated with? How are you being like Jesus? And I'm going to tell you how I'm trying to be like Jesus. And some weeks we both go, we're not doing so well. It's a hard week. We're not really being like Jesus. Okay, well, try again. Get back on the horse, encourage each other in faith, and we would pray for each other. That was our that was our meeting format. It was really, really simple. Coffee, talking about our lives under the umbrella of trying to be like Jesus, and then praying together. This is a really simple way to do 
discipleship. And again, framing it in terms of Christ-likeness. How are we succeeding or failing in our goal to try to be like Jesus? And maybe that's something that you need in your life. Maybe take a moment now to consider who in our congregation you would like to have that conversation with. Or you have a good rapport with and you could ask that question, how's it going? Trying to be like Jesus. You could listen and you could encourage and you could talk with them. Maybe that's something you used to have with somebody in a relationship, but maybe things have changed, things have shifted and you don't have that anymore. Maybe it's worth scheduling a time to get together and let that question hang over your conversation. We're both trying to be like Jesus. How's it going in your life? And you don't have to do it with somebody who you don't know very well. Like I said, it could be somebody you've already connected with, but take that extra step and say, let's have a conversation about faith. Coffee, it could be a phone call. Here's the thing, it could be somebody in your house. Um, I assume sometimes that husbands and wives are asking each other that question, but if my relationship with Lisa is any indication, we sometimes do, but not nearly as consistently as I asked that of Justin. We didn't make as much time to do that. Sometimes it's just implied. Maybe this is a message for somebody that you're living with, that you love, that you're doing faith with, but it's assumed and not uh, explicitly brought up. Maybe it's a time to say, all right, let's check in. Let's make room in our schedules to do this. That's sort of an example of uh, maybe a long form of discipleship. Maybe it doesn't seem that long, but I'm going to teach you an even shorter way to do discipleship. And this is a way, the method that I've heard about recently, to both proclaim the gospel, that is let somebody know you're a believer in Christ, and also introduce discipleship to someone who may or may not already believe and follow Jesus. It's something that you may have done in the past, you may have seen before, I didn't know there was a name for it until recently. Its name is Beatitude Evangelism. If you were in my class this morning, you might be thinking, that's what we talked about in class this morning. And you're right. <laughs> the attitude evangelism is simply affirming Christ's likeness when you see it in someone else. Being like, what you just did, that's a lot like Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus, so that's important to me. This is something you can do right now. You just learned it. It's simple. You can leave here and the waiter at Chili's, or when you go into work tomorrow, when you go back to school, you can say that to somebody. It's not hard to do. And it brings up the fact that you follow Jesus and that they, maybe they're not far from the kingdom. Maybe they are like, oh yeah, well I'm a Christian too, so it makes sense because I'm trying to be like Jesus. But if they're far from God, if they don't have a faith, you're pointing out to them something that is Christ-like already. The work that God is doing in their lives that they may not even realize. Let me give you a couple of examples of what this might look like. One, I need to brag on my wife for a little bit. We have neighbors who are very, very generous. People that are just always, you know, treating the Parnell family and uh, giving us gifts. And we're like, whoa, that's a, that's a nice gift. You guys, I mean, just like pouring love on with your, your gift giving and your thoughtfulness and all of this. Lisa had the opportunity to say uh, to the wife of this couple, um, you know, we see that you guys are generous. And as Christians, we think that that's a value that we're trying to live out. And we, we, we do it in some ways, but you guys are like crushing it with generosity. How are you able to do that? Why is, why is that something that comes so naturally for you? She was able to affirm their Christ-likeness. And we don't think that they're against following Jesus, but as far as we know, they're not 
committed, baptized believers. That was one way to do the attitude evangelism and affirm Christ-likeness in somebody else. I'll give you another example. I met up with uh, some women recently who are faithful Christians, and they are just, their biggest hope and their biggest desire in the world is for their husbands to come to church, for their husbands to follow Jesus and discover this faith that they have tried to demonstrate and tried to tell them for their entire marriages. And it's frustrating for these folks because they just won't show up on Sunday. They won't sit and listen to a Jacob sermon. Shucks. Man, I said, you know what? Maybe if you can't bring them to the gospel, maybe bring the gospel to them. Do what we're talking about. Affirm Christ-likeness in them. Say, you are such a faithful husband. You take such good care of me. You, you serve and you lay down your life and you sacrifice for me. And you're a lot like this Jesus that I follow, that I want you to know. Pointing out to somebody, maybe you're halfway down the road to becoming a Christian and you don't even realize it. Imagine what they might do. Oh, really? Tell me more about this Jesus, because he sounds like me. <laughs> I, I, can, I can keep going down this road. Another component of this is that you could invite someone to teach you something. I'm honest, sometimes I consider myself a, a, an expert in Christianity, because I've grown up in church all my life, and I, I know a lot of things. If I can only get people to hold still long enough so I can pour my information into their container, just, ah, then we'd have a win. Then we'd make disciples of all nations. But what if instead, we turn to our neighbors and we say something like, you guys are so generous. We're trying to be like Jesus. How can you help us do that? What advice would you give to us? Or we heard an example in our class this morning about someone who is a, a peacemaker. Someone who doesn't follow Jesus, who doesn't maybe even believe in God, but runs a bar. And when people get into a conflict or a fight breaks out, it's really, really good at making peace between people. A Christian friend of ours was there and he said, hey, Jesus said the peacemakers are blessed. God sees them and he affirms their good works. And I'm a follower of Jesus. Maybe you can help me in a situation where I need to make peace in my life putting someone else in the role of the teacher and saying, I want to learn from you because my whole life is trying to follow Jesus and trying to be like him. This is doable. This is, this is something that we could take out and take into our world, and it would be such an encouragement. I want to read part of the passage we heard earlier again. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. I paused after that first sentence because it's always struck me, that line about, they worshipped him. He was raised, the resurrected Jesus, and his followers worshipped him. But not all of them. Some doubted they didn't have all the information they wanted. And Jesus didn't say, all right, everybody who believes, you're commissioned. Go make disciples that look like you. You guys get it. You guys over here, you maybe need to take some night classes. You maybe need to study a little bit more. You'll get there, but I'm not sending you out yet. He didn't say that. What did he do? Some believed, some doubted. He said, everybody, go. Go make disciples. That's surprising to me. He commissioned unpolished, unfinished 
disciples to go out and make more disciples. So if you're hearing any part of what I say, you got to use your words to tell people you follow Jesus or do beatitude evangelism, affirm somebody in their Christ-likeness, and you go, ah, that's not for me. I'm not ready. I'm unqualified. I'm uncertain. I still have more questions about discipleship that I didn't get the chance to ask Jesus. Maybe this teaches us to rely more on Jesus than our own abilities. We're reminded that he sends them out anyway. You're not not ready. Just a matter of whether or not we are willing, focused, and committed to what we wrote on our wall. I want to end with a story that I heard this week that kind of surprised me. A buddy of mine, uh, his, his daughter is in high school. She goes to Livermore High. And there's a Christian club that meets on campus every Monday night. It's, uh, it's through the Young Life program. And uh, his daughter was really excited. She's very social. She loves being around a lot of people. Uh, you know, she grew up in church. She made a commitment to follow Christ this summer at a Christian camp. She's very involved in church. And she's like, Dad, Mom, I want to go to this Monday night Christian club meeting. Can I go? And her parents said, you can only go if you get four friends to come with you. Otherwise, you can't go. You're not allowed to go. That surprised me. I thought, what kind of move is that? Sometimes it's hard enough just to get our kids to care about their faith and to want to go to church gatherings. And here's this wide open door. She's like, hey, I want to go. Can I go to this? And they're like, no, 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 no. Why would you put that obstacle in her path and make it harder for her? Here's what they said. They said, you already have a faith of your own. You've already heard the gospel. You know it. You're following Jesus. You have these built-in things in your life that are helping you follow Jesus. If you want to go to this Monday night thing, you have to bring people with you. Because it's not just for you. It needs to be for them as well. And she did. She found four friends who not just invited four friends, but like people who were available and able and willing to go. And she got to go because she brought four of her friends. Now you may disagree with that as a parenting move, but think about what that communicates to a 14-year-old girl. It says this this Jesus we're following, this gospel that we believe, this faith that we're doing is not just for you. We're not just disciples. We are disciples who make disciples. We are inviters. We are gospel proclaimers. We take the Great Commission seriously. And we say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. I've been wrestling with that this week. Maybe you will as well. Let's pray. Lord, will you send us Will you open up doors for us to declare our faith? Will you put us in touch with people who are receptive to the beauty of Jesus? Who are at a point in their life where they're ready to let go of trusting themselves? Will you bring us to a point in our lives where we stop trusting in ourselves, in our own abilities, our skills, or our knowledge? And will you teach us to step out in faith like Jesus did, who was willing to follow you all the way to the cross? God, we want that kind of faith. And it's a scary thing to ask for. 
We'd like it with a side of safety, and we'd like to still hold on to our comfort. But God, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Let us be true disciples who take the gospel message with us as the best news we've ever heard and make us eager to share it. Give us the words to articulate it. Let us be inviters, encouragers, people who affirm Christ's likeness when we see it. May you receive all the glory. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.